Hey friends, uh, this is Cody. Um, just wanted to give you a little intro for our, our newest episode on the Book of Ruth. Uh, just for those of you who uh, are uninitiated, this is the That I May See podcast. Um, one of the things we do is we pray that God gives us eyes that we may see wonderful things in His Word. And, and you see that uh, in Psalm 119, you see the, the psalmist say those words. So that's our goal is just to, there's not any uh, super uh, detailed structure to the, sh- to the show or to the, to the episodes, but uh, that we would just share amazing things that we see in each book of the Bible. And so this episode is about Ruth, and this episode is longer than normal. I knew it would be, uh, but it's a good thing because I, the reason I knew it would be a long episode is because I knew that Miriam would bring it, and she did. And uh, me and her just, uh, we bounce off each other well when it comes to different thoughts and, and uh, just rich things that we see in Scripture. Um, and if you're wondering uh, what is happening in Ruth, I don't want to spoil anything for you just yet, but I want to let you know that the book of Ruth has a lot more in common with 2020 than you might think. Um, 2020 culturally has been known as one of the worst years ever. And uh, Ruth is coming off of the heels of one of the most uh, tragic time periods in the Bible, which is the time of the judges. And so uh, I just want to let you, comfort you, let you know that there's a lot of hope in Ruth uh, that uh, just as God has been doing something that we may not see in 2020, and now it's 2021, but uh, he's also doing something in Ruth uh, that they could not see, and how that's just a comfort to us. Um, but yeah, we're gonna go ahead and start. What's up? Hey, I think I got it working. Awesome! That's <laughs> hilarious. For those of you who don't know what just happened, <laughs> Miriam logged in as me, <laughs> and. Uh, and so it, it, the podcast wasn't working, but that's hilarious. And then it would block you out, I guess. Yeah, that'd be funny. Just take over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was your new year? It was good. It was just uh, me and the kids home. Nate had to work, but we we had okay. fun, made some food, hung out. We had to do one of those uh, early countdowns because Maggie was not <laughs> going to make it till midnight. Okay, so that so when I saw you post that, that confused me so much <laughs> because I was like, I've lived in Tulsa and Nashville. There's no time change. <laughs> and so when you guys were celebrating, I was like, there's no way. I'm like, am I? I've, I've been quarantining for like days. I'm like, am, what? Am I in a different reality? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you're so. like, is it the new year? I actually yeah. had somebody else asked me that too. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, it wasn't actually midnight. We just pretended because she's yeah. four. Yeah, right. That's what I, I, I was kind of thinking that, but I was just like, man, surely Miriam's not lying to her kids. You what? Know? Like, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Hey, I the was older like, ones stayed no awake for midnight, and the neighborhood went crazy. So, oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Everybody's firing off their guns, and people are out on their porches screaming and. Um, it was just, it was that's fun. hilarious. It was like, everybody right, so, was stuck home. So we just all kind of ran out on our porches right. and celebrated. 
So it was good time. <laughs> That's awesome. I was, I've been so, I've been quarantining, so I've been so bored and cramped. So like I went outside and like just sat in my car last night for a little bit. Oh, wow. And and that's like, yeah, and it's like, you know, I live by myself, so it's like, it's just so bored. So I went out there, and I was listening to some music, and then I heard something, and I didn't realize it was fireworks. I thought something was under my car. No. And I'm like, and I I remember thinking, what is under my, is there a raccoon under my car? I was like, what is going on? And then I acted like an idiot, and I I looked under and tried to scare whatever I thought was under there. (laughs) And then I was like, there's nothing under here. It's the fireworks. I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good uh, times. So how much longer yeah, good do you times. have on your quarantine? I'm probably going to take another test tomorrow. Because um, I tested, uh, tested negative, but was kind of told that, you know, sometimes those initial tests can come back wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I'll probably take another test tomorrow and see. It came back a day okay. later. So if it if I do test positive, I'm going to have to quarantine for like another week, maybe. Right. But if I don't, it should be good. That's exciting. You're almost out. <laughs> I know. I'm almost out of this. This prison. <laughs> it's so bad. But, but and, and, you know, kind of the segue, you know, as I was reading – uh, Ruth this morning and, and kind of this past week um, I just I, I realized like this has some really cool like gems and implications for like what our 2020 was like hmm, that's good you know? yeah so like for example you know simple context tells us you know the very first verse in the book during the time of the judges right now we talked about mm-hmm. judges last week and talk about like the worst time in Israel's history right and and then it says there's a famine in the land and so that just kind of reminded me of like of kind of like there's this cultural consensus in the United States right now that like 2020 was the worst right right the worst year ever Um, when it comes to race relations when it comes to the pandemic Mm -hmm. um, all all kinds of things but you read the book of Ruth the question that you could ask yourself is like what beautiful thing was God doing in 2020 because he was doing something beautiful during the time of judges. Hmm. Um, and that was just a really comforting thought. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think we, we look at the book of Ruth and oftentimes, you know, just the name draws our eye, our attention to Ruth. But right. in a lot of ways, this is a story about Naomi. And yeah, it's so true. Um, and she, you know, it's a story about somebody who suffered deeply. So she's mm, got this yeah. this cultural, you know, circumstantial context of like famine has to mm-hmm. literally flee her home because there's no food. Right. You know, I was right. thinking about that poem that says nobody leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Um, that's about wow. refugees, and you know that's yeah. the, that's what's happening here, and she's having to navigate now enter intercultural interracial marriages that her daughters enter into Um, both of her daughter-in-laws are barren there's no children 10 Mm -hmm. years no kids Mm -hmm. that's a long time to wait for grandkids and have nothing and then she loses her husband and her daughters 
or, or her son. Her, her, son. her son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I just think about the, just the place of despair that she must have oh, been yeah. in. I had, um, you know this, but I will occasionally volunteer as a chaplain for the Tulsa Police Department and mm-hmm. make death notifications. And I did one last, a couple weeks ago. Mm. And the lady um, that I was, that had died, her name for some reason made me think she was older. I didn't happen to have a birth date on her, but it was kind of an mm-hmm. old fashioned name. So in my mind, I was just thinking she was older. So I, I go to the place, the house where the family's supposed to be. It turned out they'd moved. So a neighbor ends up giving me the phone number and I have to call and tell them over the phone, which she never, mm. that's not the ideal way at all. Right, but right. Um, it turns out that this woman who died was actually around 30. And mm. it was her mom that I had to notify over the phone. And oh. she just is wailing, just inconsolable. I mean, like to the point yeah. where we had to just put the phone down and just wait. Um, and that sound of just the grief of a mm-hmm. mother losing her child. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just, I just think there's not much that's worse than that um, to right. walk through. And and that's like, that's where Naomi is. And um, she goes back home and she says like, she says like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara for the almighty has made me very bitter. I went away from mm-hmm. home. But Yahweh has brought me back empty. And she kind of mm-hmm. is wrestling with what I think we have to wrestle with if we really believe in the sovereignty of God. Is she's mm-hmm. wrestling with like her deep confidence that God is sovereign. She mm-hmm. she views this as being from the Lord's hand. And so then what do you do with that when you right. believe God is sovereign and God has let horrible things happen to you? You know, Oof, like, yeah. that's, that's where she's at. She says, God right. has made me very bitter because right. she sees these actions as like the hand coming from the hand of the Lord. And she's trying to like, mm-hmm. what does she do with that? Um, yeah. And, so, and there's a mystery to that. Yeah. There you is, know, and, and I think, you know, we often ask, what do we say to people? What do we say to people who are, you know, in this place, or what do we say to ourselves when God allows horrible things to happen? And like you said, there is this mystery. And yet I think that one of the answers that the book of Ruth kind of gives us is it invites us to understand suffering in the context of a story. Mm. And so to see that God is the the suffering in our life is a part of a bigger story and we Mm -hmm. have to, to wrestle for ways to understand um, that God is telling a story that's not over yet. And um, Mm. that the other characters in the story are often the clearest pictures of how God actually feels about us. So if you mm. want to know how God actually feels about Naomi, the clearest picture is not what happened to her sons, but the way mm-hmm. that God sent her Ruth, right? And Ruth's right. deep commitment to hang on to her. Um, scholars, you know, talk about how this is this mm-hmm. really a book about Hesed love, about um, right. steadfast love, loving yeah. kindness of God of God and um, it shows up 
it's mentioned, I think, three times in the book. And her prayer for them, which is that Yahweh would show Hesed to them um, as they've shown it to mm. the dad and to her. And then um, in, I think, chapter two, Naomi says um, of the Lord, the Lord has not abandoned, the Lord blessed Boaz because he has not abandoned his Hesed to the living or the dead. And then mm. Boaz brings it up again in chapter three, verse 10, when he says to Ruth, may Yahweh bless you because you've shown mm-hmm. more Hesed now than before, because you've not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Um, so it's, it's right. really that, you know, this story about how do we choose to live out the Hesed love of God towards other people, even when they're hurting mm-hmm. and how is, Hesed love lived oh, yeah. out actually create the family of God. Um, so I think like that one of the things we see all throughout the story of the Bible, and especially in like the genealogies in Matthew and stuff where Ruth is mentioned, you see that God's family is not created primarily by heritage, but by Hesed. Like the family of God is a community that exists because of love. Um not because of lineage. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that, you know, that's one of the things I, I've noticed commentators. One of the things that kind of, I don't know, it kind of bugs me about some, a lot of commentaries on this book is that number one, I think they kind of get the theme of this book wrong. You know, um, you know, many people treat it as a love story and that's true to some degree. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's a story about uh, kind of what you said, like inclusion, like, like, and I would even say like racial inclusion, like this, this book has a lot to tell us about um, social category, negative social categories, you know, that, that society is constructed Mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the things that, you know, she said that the the text tells over and over again is obviously she's a woman. Ruth is, um, she's a widow, she's a refugee and she's a foreigner. Right. And right. like you talk about the, first of all, for anyone listening, that's, that's literally what intersectionality is. Um, it's just multiple, uh, identity categories placed upon somebody. Um, but I mean, yeah, talk about fact, the most um, dangerous social it, category to be in is, is, is those. And so, yeah, I was just going to add I think one of the, one of the um, lingering questions I looked at on this, um, talks about kind of the status order in ancient Israel. Yeah. They said number one would have been like a king or judge of Israel. Number two, tribal leader. So like Judah, clan leader, Bethlehem, clan mm-hmm. subgroup leader would be number four, which is probably Boaz's status. Number five mm-hmm. would be an older father. Number six. A- right. Naomi. Number two. Number 11, a male servant. 12, a female servant. 13, a female servant, lower class. 14, mm-hmm. a resident alien. 15, a male foreigner. And mm-hmm. the lowest status in all of Israel would have been a female foreigner, mm-hmm. which was for his status. So just affirming what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and 
that is that, uh, thank you for breaking that down because that that's exact yeah that's exactly what's going on and i mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. i think th- i can't remember who said this i remember i think it was dr joe vital remember we we watched a video with her and dr esau macaulay one of the things that i heard her say one time um that jewish men used to pray in the ancient world was um <laughs> lord thank i think it's or god Florida, that i'm maybe. not a woman um, yeah. a slave, uh, a I don't know what the last right, one was, right. I think, or a foreigner, right? Um, or no, sorry, it's a Gentile. So yeah, basically same thing. And I thought that's interesting because, you know, it's just like, right. we don't, without the kind of historical context, we don't know how big of a deal this book really is. And as this book comes off the heels of judges, I think one of the best questions we can ask ourselves absolutely um, when reading this book is how will Israel treat vulnerable women? Right. It, you know, and you know, I we talked about this in our you, last, judges um, give last you episode, some but I mean, judges is, I mean, it's just awful Naomi to women. Thinks her situation is so it's desperate awful. to be a woman without a man in ancient Israel is to be extremely vulnerable. And you think about even yeah. um, in, yeah, in Ruth chapter two, during the time where, of the judges, yeah, um, oh, Boaz absolutely. and Ruth are interacting, and he tells her, um, he tells like his young men to stay to stay away from her, not to touch her. Bring into that that context of what has happened to the concubine woman in Bethlehem during this mm. same town that or this same time period, yeah. the time of judges, right? This concubine yep. woman who was from Bethlehem, yep. had been cut into yep. pieces after being brutally yep. raped. So Ruth is so vulnerable. And I just think it's, it's she, and she knows that. Yep. She asked in uh, verse 10 yep. of chapter two, she asked Boaz, why have I found favor, favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? And it's as if she's mm-hmm. saying like, why have you noticed me, although I am not noticeable? Like, why have you treated yeah. me as an insider, even though I'm an outsider? And what mm-hmm. what Boaz does, I think, is really incredible. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. And okay, I I was just gonna say. Um, no, no, no. You finish finish I your thoughts. Okay. One of the things that's really cool is like the contrast between some of the other stories and judges is what does it look like to use power well, to use power in a way that reflects the Hesed love of God? And I think Boaz exemplifies that when he he makes her, mm-hmm. he makes Ruth less vulnerable. Well, first of all, he sees her, he notices her, which is really interesting because mm-hmm. that's what God does in verse uh, chapter one, verse six. It says, the Lord paid attention to his people and in chapter two, Naomi says about Ruth, um, may the Lord bless them about Boaz. May the Lord bless the man who noticed you, who paid attention to you. So the first thing is that people with power need to pay mm-hmm. attention to who is vulnerable. And then secondly, he uses his power to make her less vulnerable. He goes mm-hmm. to these young men, to anybody under his influence, and he says, don't touch her. Don't harm her. Don't do anything to violate her. So his power makes her less vulnerable. And then mm-hmm. I think this is the one we, we sometimes miss that's so powerful oh. is he 
says to her, I want, he joins her in with his female servants. He says, stay close to my female servants. And he pulls her into community. So being alone makes Mm -hmm. us more vulnerable. Um, When someone's vulnerable, Mm -hmm. they need community. And so part of what using power well means oh, yeah. that we use our power to pull the vulnerable into community where they can experience like love and safety and all the protection that comes from being a part of a community. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just really cool to see Boaz's example of that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and I love, I love that you brought out the, the question she asked him, you know, like, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner. And uh, I think there's a little something more to this question too. If, if you've ever, and I think this especially happens with, um, with the way women are treated in our society, but uh, in a world where men have the power, it is very normal for uh, that. I've noticed mm-hmm. for women to ask, okay, what are your intentions? Right. Right. So to so to to ask Boaz, why have you noticed me? Um, I think Uh he's asking, like, what? Right. What's your you know, what are your motives? Are are you just trying to sleep with me? Are you trying to are you you trying to keep me away from Uh all everybody else so you can have me? Well, like what's going on? And and his response is just amazing. He's like, look, the way he says, you know, everything you've done for your mother in law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. And, and he is, he's just taken back by her, her character. And um, <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the gems I have, oh man, I have so much in my notes, but um, one of the gems I think that I see in like one of the wonderful things I see in Ruth is that um, mm. redemption is not only defined as being bought out of slavery. And I think that's the most common right. uh, way that we use that terminology, right? Jesus bought us out of slavery. That's true, right? We were slaves, you know, before coming to Jesus, we were slaves of sin. But the way, mm-hmm. the way that um, redemption worked in the ancient world, it had many different functions. You, you could be bought out of prostitution. You could be bought out of slavery. But as we see in Ruth, it's actually being mm-hmm. lifted from poverty in one swoop. Right. And um, uh, by a family member, it's very specifically. Right. So one of the things yeah. that, you know, uh, she calls Boaz, she says, you are my family redeemer. Right. And so, you know, I, it's just important to think of redemption. Redemption. I think you said right. it really well. Right. Um, you know, like redemption is being pulled out of vulnerable situations. Um, and and I, I just I love how. Ruth just kind of resets our the way we think about that. And one of the other things I think is really <laughs> cool is that um, Boaz, in a time of judges, which is like the worst time in Israel's history, um, Boaz practices mm-hmm. the Mosaic law. He helps the widow and the foreigner. He, he allows, you know, it says he allows Ruth to gather the, the, the fallen grain. And he's, he's practicing this, uh, this mosaic yeah, or this kingdom absolutely. ethic that no one around him is practicing. Right. Or, or at least uh, most people are not doing this. And, um, and it, it's, there's oh, just man, there's it's so much going on in this um, book, but um, what are some I other things that you really see? Interesting to pay attention to is 
the way that, um, you know, so you mentioned earlier, we talk about this as a love story. So I know um, a lot of times that uh, this, this, mm-hmm. these verses in chapter one about um, wherever you go, I'll go, wherever you live, I'll live, right? Um, those get kind of pulled into a romantic context. Like I've seen people with them mm-hmm. hanging over their bed or mm-hmm. um, reciting them at their wedding ceremony. And, right. you know, they're great. It's a great passage <laughs> about Hesed love. But I think it's really remarkable that this illustration of Hesed love is between right. a woman and this old, another older woman. And it's cross, it's across generations and it's not, mm-hmm. I think our, uh, yeah, across ethnicities, our Western mm-hmm. culture can only it's make sense of this kind of committed love in the context of like marriage. And yet what the scripture is like illustrating to us in the story of Ruth is that often right. Hesed love mm. is perhaps God's calling us to live out that kind of love and this kind of level of commitment where you live, I'll live, where you go, I'll go, where you die, mm-hmm. I'll die, there will I be buried. Nothing but death should separate me and you, right? Um, this is biblical love. And mm-hmm. yet it's not just between like a man and a woman. It's I think Mm -hmm. it raises the question of who is God calling me to like live out his love to like actually live out his love. And like, what if the church was a place where Mm. there was no older person in our church who didn't have a younger person who loved them like this? Like how transformative would that be? What if there Mm. was, you know, all of these cross-generational, <clears throat> wow. cross-racial lines, like mm. friendships that were fueled by Hesed love, because it's Hesed love that makes God's family, God's family. So I just think that's really challenging. Um, I also love, you notice that um, Naomi that's prays right. that the Lord would show Hesed to Ruth. Yeah. And then we see in the next couple chapters that Naomi actually takes action towards answering her own prayer, right? So we see like she prays that God will like create a place of rest for Ruth. And then mm. she starts, her mind starts working and she goes to work in the neighborhood to see how she can actually make this happen for Ruth. And I think that we sometimes put like prayer and action on like opposites as though we can do one or mm. the other. And uh, what I what I think is like a more biblical way of thinking is that our prayers like fuel right. and shape our actions. And so as we pray, then that sort of like plants these holy desires that we then go like mm. live out and take initiative towards and put ourselves on the line to pursue. Mm. Oh, wow. That's a great way of looking at prayer. Well, you know, you, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, where you go, I'll Come go, where you live, I'll live. You know what that means, right? That means you and Nate need to just uh, you know, come on, come to Nashville, you know. Hey, you know, as if a, you, you know, want your family me just needs to show me some uh, love and it. just move here, you know. Um, where are we going to be buried? 
That's hilarious. That's hilarious. No, um, th- one of the things I, I've seen too in this book is, you know, uh, in mm. chapter two, verse 15, you know, one of the things that Boaz says, he says, you know, don't humiliate her. Right. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, but, um, you know, I, I think we underestimate wow. the natural yeah. sinful tendency to humiliate people who are not like us. And, um, and I think this would have been normal in the ancient world. And even today, I mean, you know, I, um, you know, I grew up hearing jokes mm-hmm. about, you know, Latinos and um, who, who came over here uh, fleeing what's going on in, in Mexico and, and in other, other, you know, Latin, Latin American countries. And, you know, I grew up hearing, you know, after 9-11, I mean, everybody was making fun of people from the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just shows you our proclivity to, to do those things and, uh, to make fun of people. And I, right. I just love that's such a, such a yeah. amazing imperative. Like don't humiliate and, people and who, who aren't like you, you know, don't, do don't, don't poverty. make fun of them. Like, don't, don't pick on them. <laughs> just and, to kind of give um, us some context here, like compare gleaning to like the people mm-hmm. that you might see who are walking around picking up cans to recycle. And that's how they're making their living, right? So that's kind of a level of, mm-hmm. of status that would have been associated mm-hmm. with having to glean for a living. Yeah. 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 And you just see Boaz's, you know, his humility. I mean, he marries this woman and um, ends up marrying her and, and just like, is uh, mm-hmm. he just has that don't care attitude of the the people around him uh, when it comes to social status. And I want to ask you a question. I, I found this. I was reading something in Ruth. That was very interesting. So in chapter three, um, verse nine, you know, it says that mm. Ruth uncovers like Boaz's feet as he's lying down, and she says, "Take me under your wing." Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't help but see that as like a marriage proposal. And I kind of wanted to see what you, what you thought about that. Cause I think I've only heard one commentator mention that, but I think because of our <laughs> right. uh, complementarian patriarchal <laughs> uh, leanings and, and commentators, male, white male commentators that yeah. they kind of skip past that. Part, yeah. In fact, like, I think I read somebody really who me, like, she's like, Boaz, will you marry me? Says it has you know? the idea of like a marriageable woman. So she's like, I'm Ruth, like marriageable woman, <laughs> um, an eligible bachelorette, you know? Um, okay. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think she kind of called yeah. him to account for yeah. what he said to her in chapter two, verse 12, where he says, may the Lord reward you for what you've done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under mm. whose wings you have come for refuge. And she says, I have come to God for refuge and I think that how God is going to love me is through you. Mm. So take me under your wing. And really she is um, sticking up for Naomi here because Mm. the reason she's pursuing this Mm. is for Naomi's family line. Um, And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we sometimes get, you know, we Mm. take up something like Ruth and we 
want to try to fit it you know we minimize things that are in the text because it doesn't fit into the way we've like taught people to think about dating or courtship or what have you but really what you see here is that Ruth initiates and Boaz responds Mm -hmm. and um and that's yeah So Cody is um, That's right. Cody will be down. So ladies, if you want floor. to ask a guy to marry you, listen. <laughs> that's that's not what uh, I was. But but it's it, not what I was implying. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, ladies, yeah, if mean, you want to ask a guy I to marry that, you, know, I think biblical. that we, you know, I love <laughs> I'm just this kidding. relationship. I'm just kidding. That's hilarious. That you see this dynamic between Ruth and Boaz and Naomi where they are all focused on the good of the other and this just really beautiful connection mm-hmm. and friendship and alliance that ultimately serves the gospel That's right. is formed because they are all focused on protecting and caring for someone else. Naomi is worried about Ruth right. and wants to care for Ruth. Ruth is worried about Naomi and wants to take care of her. And That's Boaz right. is worried about both of them. He cares about Ruth and he also cares about Naomi. He sends her home mm-hmm. um, after their conversation with six measures mm-hmm. of barley, because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty handed. And what a contrast that is to the opening of the book where Naomi says, I went away full and I've come back mm-hmm. empty. That's and right. Not empty now. Right. So. That's right. Mm. That's right. And, you know, I think, one of the imperatives all these things have is, mm-hmm. you know, don't be afraid to defy like social norms, right? Like, and to be honest, in order to follow Jesus, you actually have to defy what, what society says is normal, whether that's a sexual ethic or whether that's white supremacy, Christian nationalism or misogyny mm-hmm. and patriarchy, you know, all these different things. Yeah. I just, I love how the book of Ruth says, eh, Eh, nope, nope, nope. We don't have to do right. all these things. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't have to go about all these things the way everybody else is doing that. And I, I just think, I just love like, cause, cause mm, I really do think sure. that we could really learn from the black interpretive uh, mind in this book, that h- how much right um, Ruth is about, uh, you know, interracial relations. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, one of the things that the book repeats over and over again is, says Ruth the Moabite, right? She's from Moab, 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 Moab. And, and there was a lot of tension mm-hmm. um, and bitterness and anger between Israel Absolutely. and, and uh, you know, the, the nation of Moab. And so for, mm-hmm. for this Moabite woman to, for this story to be about a Moabite is just wild um, in, the, in the ancient world, um, in the ancient, yeah. you know, Middle East and, and Israel. And, and so that's super, God is saying something in that. He's saying, guess what, Israel? It's not just about you. You know, it's not, it's so, it's, I really do think people people don't realize how much Israelites really became extremely racist over time. Right. Um, Like I said, there's that prayer, Mm -hmm. you know, when when Jews would, you know, pray, you know, thank God I'm not a woman, Gentile or slave. And, um, and God, you know, uh, God just, kind of smashes mm. and dismantles yeah. all those prejudices and said, you need to pay attention to what's going on in Ruth's story. And um, one of the things 
two that I, I, I never really, I mean, I, I kind of thought about the idea, but I actually never connected it to concrete right. passages. But in chapter four, you know, Boaz redeems Naomi's land, right? And what that reminded me of is like, and it talks about that quite a bit in, uh, in chapter four. You know, he goes to the town elders and he's like, look, Naomi's going to sell, you know, her, her, her dead husband's land, which t- makes total sense. She's a widow, you know, right. she's vulnerable. That's, that's the only, you know, uh, kind of wealth that she would have had was from her, was what's left over from her husband. And so, you know, Boaz goes to town. He's like, look, you guys can redeem this if you want to. And then nobody really wants to like redeem it because it'll tank their own inheritance. And, and so Boaz redeems land. And what that reminded me Mm. is that God doesn't just redeem people. He's redeeming all of creation. And, and you see that in the new Testament, right? One of the things Mm. like the gospels Mm -hmm. refer to Satan. Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world, right? Now, one of the reasons we see that in scripture is because Mm. in Genesis, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave their authority over to Satan um, to where he becomes the ruler of this world. But what's so amazing about the cross and what happens after Jesus is raised from the dead, Matthew 28, Mm. one of the things he says is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so you see Jesus is Jesus on the cross. Jesus isn't just redeeming Mm. Uh, people, Amen. he's redeeming literally the cosmos. He's redeeming the dirt and, mm. and the leaves and all of creation. He is he has bought it back uh, by mm. by shedding his own blood, and and now Satan is no mm. longer the ruler of this world. That's what Jesus says. He says, I'm, "I've come to cast out the ruler of this world." I love that because um, I actually so was God's thinking about this everything. And I saw it's so important your, um, to believe as a Christian. The mission statement, it's not, you know, actually kind of includes that because it says loving people, places, and things. And I, I love that it includes places and things. Yeah, um, loving people, that, places, and things to life. Whole comprehensive way of looking at what God is up to in the world. Mm-hmm. Let me read a quote as we close. This is from Catherine Stanfield, I think. Yeah, she's a, got a great commentary on Ruth, and she says um, this yeah. portrait of the community that's that's demonstrated in the Book of Ruth may be regarded as a microcosm <coughs> of the peaceable kingdom envisioned by the prophetic tradition. Mm-hmm. It is a human community in which the marginalized person has dared to insist upon full participation, Mm. in which the one in the center has reached out beyond societal norms to include the marginalized. It is a community in which children are celebrated and the elderly are attentively cared for. It is a community in Mm. which all are fed, a community in which joy is the dominant note. Thus, the story offers to its readers, quote, a memory of the future, unquote, a vision of future hope couched in the form of story from the past. And I love Mm. that she just describes that this is this beautiful vision. A lot of us love the book of Ruth because it's it's a story with a happy ending. And what she's saying is like, this is actually a story about like where all of God's world is heading to a place like mm. a kingdom where every a community where everyone who is on the margins is invited mm. into the middle of God's story and the people in the middle go out and 
step outside of societal norms and bring others in. And the dominant note is joy. And I think that's just such a beautiful message of hope as we kind Mm -hmm. of embark on a new year. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, you know, yeah, that's amazing. It's like Ruth Mm -hmm. gives us a glimpse of the beloved community. Right. Kind of kind of what Dr. King talks about before we end. um, I just want to ask ask you, Miriam, what uh, if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway? I probably Um, would. What what do you think that what would you want that to be? Would say that if you are opening this new year hurting deeply. um, Remember (sighs) two things. One is that God is writing a story and your life is part of a story, which means that there is meaning that you can't see or feel yet Mm. to the things that are going wrong. And I would also say, consider that God's Mm. love for you might be showing up most clearly through the people he's put in your lives. And Maybe ask yourself, who are you supposed to be sort of that living picture of the love of God to? Um, How are you supposed to bring God's story to life wherever he has you right Hmm. now? What about you, Cody? What would you say as we close? Amen. Amen. That's great. Yeah, I would just kind of reiterate one thing I said before that, you know, let Ruth be that. um, Let Mm -hmm. Ruth be that book that says it's okay to not cave into societal norms. Um, That doesn't mean just do whatever you want. Obviously, like we do things according to scripture and, and we live according to the way God created us. But um don't mm. don't let society shape the way you uh, you view gender roles. Let the Bible do that. Don't don't let the don't let society shape the way you view race and ethnicity, and foreigners and and refugees and um, uh, all kinds of things that our world just does not get right. I mean, like it's so cra- it's so crazy to me how. You know, like even our political categories, right? <laughs> Absolutely. How one side will get something right and they'll get something so wrong at the same time. And then the opposite side gets the opposite thing right. And then something wrong. It's like, you know, whether it's the Democratic Party, you know, and and they're 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 getting a lot of things on race right. Man, do they get abortion wrong? And then it's the opposite <laughs> for Republicans, it's like, you know, I think they do a, a good job of championing, uh, you know, uh, the yeah. rights and, and uh, the value of babies within the womb. But, man, do they get racism wrong and, and, <laughs> and patriarchy and uh, toxic masculinity. And, but the Bible gets it all right. And that actually causes us to defy societal norms because there is no political or ideological category mm. that sees all the issues and then knows how to properly respond to them. 
Mm. And and that's, that's how true. you know that the, the Bible is <laughs> Amen. is was written by the Holy Spirit. Oh, of course, it's a great way to you start know. my new year. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for. Uh, I knew uh, I knew I was so like this episode is going to be I, I lengthy like because Miriam's going to bring it. Go She's going to bring it. See a lot of wonderful things. And I'm glad you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when mm-hmm. I, I would encourage you if you're reading it, read it through quickly and then go back and look at some of the details. Um, it's oh, always good you. to get the Take story, care, you know, the main plot Happy points of the story, and then go back and study it. Thank you so much, Miriam. Um, I saw on you too. Instagram that you are planning to grow a mustache, and I just feel like I okay. need to go on record as saying I think that's a terrible mistake. And it may take 2021 down the wrong path. It's true. It actually could be. You're like, Cody's mustache might be worse than anything in 2020. (laughs) Well, it's funny because it's... (laughs) Well, it's like, I'm cooped. Listen, I don't usually grow a mustache, but like, I'm cooped up in this apartment... No one sees what I look like. I don't put anything <laughs> in my hair. And I'm just, I'm, I, I, I looked in the mirror the other day and I was just like, oh, snap. I got to shave this. Oh, and then, man. If 2021 goes down, And then down I was like, you know what? I'm I ain't shaving nothing. All on your mustache. Like, I'm going to grow this it. thing out. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Bye, Teddy. <laughs>